Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the flagship station of Universal 7 Radio, AM 1320 WARL, Attleboro, Providence. We are Master Control of Tranquility Base. It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host, Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap. We're here every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. on AM 1320, as well as over the Internet, reviewing the latest action of the New England Revolution in Major League Soccer. Uh, today is the, 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 night, the day after the Revolution uh, playoff game against the Chicago Fire second leg. Uh, Revs went into the game uh, 1-0 down, uh, the first leg away at Chicago. So one nothing, not a, a horrible result to come into, but the Revs made the result a lot harder uh, when just 10 minutes into the game they gave up a goal to uh, Nate Jake, were actually 18 minutes into the game. Uh, and then right before halftime, Taylor Twelman brought them back, uh, brought the series back 2-1 to uh, in favor of Chicago still. And then Pat Noonan tied it up in the 58th minute of that game, Pat Noonan coming back from a long layoff after a sports hernia surgery, so it was great, great to see him get back on the score sheet. Uh, unfortunately, the Revs, with all the chances they had in the match, were unable to uh, come away with a win in regulation time. Went into overtime, they had their chances then too. Uh, but you could tell by the second overtime they were struggling from their injuries. Uh, Chicago were putting more of the pressure on in that period. Uh, and then they were lucky to get through to penalty kicks, in which Matt Reese, as we all know, is uh, the best penalty kick shot stopper around. Came up with uh, two crucial saves in the penalty kick shootout, and the Revs won that 4-2 and advanced to the Eastern Conference Final for the fifth time in as many years, which is an impressive accomplishment, uh, a league record. So that was very impressive. Uh, of course, last night, Steve Nichol, uh, good job coaching with the subs, brought in uh, Pat Noonan at halftime, which made the huge impact coming on with the 58-minute goal. Uh, and right after that, Kano Smith uh, came in a bit later, and he did a great job down the left flank adding speed. Uh, and Jose Cancela came on and... Uh, was instrumental scoring the first penalty kick of the shootout, so a good job by Steve Nichol with the substitutions there, and uh, Steve Nichol was very happy with the, the subs and uh, was a little disappointed that they couldn't win in a regulation time with the missed chances, but we have Steve Nichol's comments, and we can play those for you now. Uh, I think we absolutely thoroughly deserved it. You know, their goalkeeper's been man of the match on both games. I think that tells us, I think that tells the whole story. Talk about the composure you played with the penalties at the end there. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, we took penalties during the week, and there were uh, nobody missed. They were all fantastic penalties, and we were kind of wishing we'd saved some. But the ones we took tonight were huge, and obviously Reese's huge in goals as well with the penalties. So the players just hanging on at the end, where they look so. No, we were absolutely. You know, um, you know, we got players getting jabs before the game. Uh, we got players, <clears throat> obviously Ralston getting injured during the game. We're switching things about. But the players have got balls, I've been saying all along that they've got them. Uh, they showed them tonight. Uh, the game should have been over in normal time with the chances we made and the, you know, the chances we missed. Um, but I think we thoroughly deserve to go through it. Um, we'll need to get ourselves ready for next week. Did the chances that you missed concern you, did you think that they could potentially pop up with another goal themselves? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Rolf, Rolf had probably the best chance of the game ahead of other than that, you know, we were running out of steam and they were, they were breaking on us pretty quickly and pretty well. But, you know, I think we, we controlled the game and it was, it was a lot, most of the time it was in our hands until the end where we were, we were obviously tired. But thoroughly deserved to win the game. Did Cancel substitution make any change on the game? Yeah, I mean, fresh legs always makes a change. Um, you know, having 
Being able to bring uh, Pepe on uh, later stages of a game is, is huge for us. Obviously, fresh legs and that wee eye for a pass that he has when people are maybe the opposition have fallen asleep a wee bit through fatigue. So he played his part, everybody played the part. What on Pat Noonan's impact, not only with this goal, but also the fact that he stepped up to take a penalty as well after being out for so long? Yeah, I mean it's it's great for everybody, the players, the rest of the players that play with him, the crowd when he steps on the field, and you know he, he clearly hasn't a lot of fitness. He doesn't have a lot of fitness behind him. He's played eight games I think this season, but he has that extra bit of quality that you know when given the chance he shows it and he showed it again tonight. Stephen, was that a plan? If you were even on aggregate, you were going to put that in at halftime? Was that, or was it just a decision you made then? Or was that a kind of a plan going in? Well, we knew he, we knew he lacked fitness, um, and we were kind of hoping we'd just go and win the game, and then we could get him ready for the rest of the year. But uh, needs must, and uh, we decided to put him in and see how long he could go. Do you care if it's New York or DC? I mean, clearly we'd rather play at home. I think I think every team would rather play at home, but at the moment we're pleased to win, and we'll uh, we'll enjoy winning tonight. And that was again Revolution head coach Steve Nickel on uh, last night's. Uh, win over the Chicago Fire. Of course, the hero of the night, as I mentioned, was Matt Reese, uh, who saved the two penalty kicks, and he's been big for the team all season. This is actually the second penalty kick shootout they've had to beat, go through, also in the U.S. Open Cup earlier this year against Rochester, in which uh, Reese was a hero in that game as well. Not only did he save two penalty kicks, but he also scored one of them. Uh, and we have a comment from him now in which he talks about what it takes to save those penalty kicks uh, and his thoughts on the game in general. Matt, did you, did you scout the shooters no. at all? So no. you guys, what, what kind of read can you read? Just read yeah. when they stepped up to the ball? Yeah. Just uh, it's read for the, it's a feeling when they step to the ball, and then you know as they approach it uh, and, and they take their last step, then I try and get over to the side that I feel that they're going to, and and try and uh, cover that side. That was a great guess on Guerrero. What about your shot? It wasn't really a guess. It was more of a read. Uh, my shot, you know, I'm just. Uh, just, I'm pretty confident taking them, so uh, you know, I just try and pick a side and hit it hard. Well, do you relish those situations? No, you know, you've had a while to prepare for the penalties. There's a game that's going on. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, no, I don't think any player wants to decide a game in penalties. Uh, you know, a couple years ago we lost out to uh, DC in penalties, and, and you know, it's a terrible way to go. Talk about having the crowd behind you at that end. Was that a, a big factor, do you think? I think just the crowd in general was a big factor. You know, they came out tonight. Uh, there was a threat of bad weather, and they still came out strong. And, uh, you know, they really gave us a lift uh, when we needed it. You know, we went down. We were two goals down, basically, in the in the series, and uh, we fought back, and uh, a lot of it was because they uh, they gave us a boost. Yeah, let's talk about the defensive effort again. I mean, besides Jake was bid, there really wasn't much else. Kind of like last week, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. You know, they've uh, they had a couple chances, uh, you know, and basically in the, the two 90-minute games, they had two great chances, and they finished both of them. And, um, you know, we, we did a lot. We've made a lot of chances. We created a lot of chances, and, uh, you know, we were unfortunate on quite a few of them. And, uh, you know, as a team, we know that as long as we're creating chances, we're going to give ourselves a good chance because we have the players that can finish them. What do you think was the key defensively or wrong, kind of holding them in check? Uh, it's just a, a total team effort, you know. We uh, You look what happened when, when Joe went down in the extra time and Taylor dropped back into midfield to, to shore it up. And, um, you know, Jay and, and Avery and Parkey in front of me did a great job of shifting and sliding. And, you know, we, it was just a complete team effort. And that's that's what we are in here as a, as a team. And uh, we really rely on each other uh, to get us through games. 
Again, that was Revolution goalkeeper Matt Reese and his comments on the game. Uh, Reese actually was the team's MVP announced a few weeks ago. Uh, he was also uh, up for a goalkeeper of the year in the league, but unfortunately he lost out on that to Troy Perkins, which is uh, kind of a shame and a shock there because not only was Matt Reese so well for the Revs, but if you look at his stats overall, he had the best goals against average for any goalkeeper who played over half the league's games this season. He had the best, he had the most saves, he had the most shutouts, and he also had the best save percentage. So uh, it seemed kind of robbed for Troy Perkins to be out for that, despite Troy Perkins being on the better team. Uh, and then Michael Parkhurst, we were talking about, won uh, humanitarian humanitarian of the year for the league, and he also won it for the Revs. Uh, he's been a great player both last season, where which he won Rookie of the Year, and it's continued that this season. Uh, such a smart player, avoids the fouls. Uh, and for a center back, it's amazing that his record is for so little, com- so many, so few committed fouls. And we have his comments on the game last night. He was very uh, happy with Matt Reese's performance and talked about uh, how, how great he's been and what. A- I also agreed that it was a shame that he lost out in the goalkeeper of the year award. Matt, he's just, you know, in my opinion, he's the best goalkeeper in the league, um, you know, bar none, and he proved it. You know, he's always there for us when we need him, and, you know, we needed him no bigger time than that shootout, and, uh, you know, we just knew. We knew he was going to save one or two. Um, you know, you just get that feeling with Matty. He's, you know, he's special, and uh, he came up huge for us, and everybody stuck their penalties with confidence, and... We were able to get out of there with the W. Probably none more so than Matt. I know. <laughs> Keeper didn't even have a chance to put, put a hand up. He hit it so hard. The team had a lot of chances in regulation. Then uh, the first overtime period is a tough trend to having to go all the way to penalty kicks with uh, you know the chance you had to win it. Definitely. Uh, you know, we made it a little harder on ourselves than we had to be. It would have been nice if we finished it off earlier, but, you know, that's soccer. And we were able to get enough goals to keep the game going, and Maddie, Maddie won it for us. Again, that was Revolution defender Michael Parkhurst. And his thoughts on the game, uh, Taylor Twelman, we uh, mentioned, scored the first goal uh, for the Revs in this game, the crucial goal that got him right before halftime back into the game with, with just one goal difference. Uh, that led on to Pat Noonan being able to score that goal and then tying it up at two. Uh, Twelman also scored the crucial penalty in the, and the fourth penalty that actually won the, the game and the series for the Revs. And we have his comments now and uh, on the confidence of the team going into the game and also on how tough it was to follow up such a great season they had in 2005 and uh, the difficulty to kind of repeat the success they had that year. Like I said, we fought, we kept going, and we were behind the eight ball. From the start of the game, we were behind the eight ball after we gave up the first goal, and we, we responded well. Uh, yeah, obviously, we we got to make sure guys are healthy and get their juice back in the legs, but you know, once we figure that out, you know, we're, we're confident right now, we, one game at a time. It was a tough season all around. Any time you try to follow up a season like we had in 05, it's going to be difficult no matter which way you look at it. And the way we've responded has come together at the end of the game and at the end of the season, I mean, and you know, we've done well. We had an unbelievable season in 05, and no matter what we did this year, it was going to be tough to compare. So we just wanted to get into the playoffs and uh, come together, and we've done that well. And that was Revolution uh, goal scorer Taylor Twelman, who has also been the leading scorer for the team this season uh, with 11 goals. And this was his uh, 12th goal counting playoffs. And uh, he's been an excellent player for the team over the years as the Revs' all-time leading scorer. And it was fitting for him to be the one to score the penalty that won them the series. Uh, we were talking about uh, the Revs' defensive play this year, the goal through Matt Reese having such a great goal differential. Goals against average. 
Uh, but a lot of that comes down to his defenders. You mentioned Michael Parkhurst and the good job he's done. Uh, Jay Heaps has been another defender who's had an excellent year. Uh, for my money, it's been his best year in the league. Uh, he's done a great job, and he had another great game. Uh, and he talks about fighting through the injuries to, to play in this game and uh, the odds stacked against them with both the, the league suspending Shari Joseph earlier in the week. And we have Jay Heaps' comments on the game now. This was, uh, like you said, it was a build-up all week, uh, a lot of emotion, and I, and I just I, I looked down the line of people, and, and, and everyone in this locker room contributed to that, and, and, and it was just a, a gutsy performance from start from start to finish. Did you know, go going behind, kind of just fire you up even more. I mean, that, that was a dangerous time immediately after they scored. Yes, it, you know it, what I think it did was it, it, it um, you know kind of let us you know <coughs> here we go. You know what I mean? It was one of those where it's uh, we knew we could have already had a goal at that point. They Forward. And so now we're down two, and what we did was we just uh, took everything we had, pushed forward, and, and um, you know, everyone stepped on the field. Pat Newton came in, great game. You know, uh, Kenny came in, changed the game on the left side. Joey, Joey Francino finished the game with almost a, a, a torn hamstring, you know, and couldn't sub him out. I mean, just everyone from top to bottom played their heart out, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's fitting because no one wanted us to go through. MLS didn't want us to go through, Chicago didn't want us to go through, but, you know, they're not going to stop us if we uh, stick together and have team effort like that. As good a result as it was, you guys are just, you know, you're now on to the next stage. Exactly. How, how much, yeah. how important to get back in training so we can maintain this level? Exactly. Now. That's, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there, what we did tonight was we showed that we can, you know, come back and we got, you know, some of our scoring touched back. You know, I think, what, we hit the crossbar, we hit the inside of the post. I mean, we were all over uh, the goal. And, um, you know, getting some of that scoring touch back, I think, uh, is good confidence building for us. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we're going to enjoy this for the night. And then uh, come Monday, we're going to be back at it. And uh, you know, our goal has been from the beginning to get back to the final. And um, that's what we want to do. We want to. We got back to the conference final. We want to win that, and we want to move on. And that was a uh, Revolution veteran defender Jay Heaps and his thoughts on the game. And now joining us over the phone, we have Brad Feldman, Revolution uh, director, media director, as well as play-by-play broadcaster uh, for the games both on TV and on the radio. Brad, can you hear me? I can. How are you, Sean? All right. How are you? Uh, not bad. Anybody involved with uh, the Revolution, I think, is having a, a good second half to their weekend after what happened last night. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. I'm sitting here watching the New York uh, D.C. game with the, the mute on. I can report that it's zero zero, and uh, you know, whatever result uh, comes, I think that uh, the Reds will be happy with it. Uh, you know, New York at home is a game that the, the Reds would obviously feel good about. It'd be great to have another home game. You saw the way the home field uh, uh, worked to their advantage uh, last night in Game 2 against Chicago. Uh, but I also think that the Reds could, would feel confident going down to play D.C. United because uh, they, they beat them uh, well uh, a couple of weeks ago in that 2-1 victory on the 7th of October. And D.C. are not playing particularly well, particularly well tonight and, and haven't been playing very well uh, really since the All-Star break. Well, certainly we saw, as you mentioned, the Reds beat D.C. at home and also Chicago beat D.C., uh, at home, so DC to finish the season was doing poorly both, you know, at home and on the road. So they haven't been playing their best. Uh, but with last night's victory, certainly the Reds must have a lot of confidence going into the next uh, stretch of games. Absolutely, Sean. I was just listening to the comments in the locker room from from Jay Heaps, who's always a, a great, uh, an honest spokesman for the, for the team. He's one of the team leaders, and he, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think that when he says a thing, there is confidence, then then he means it. Uh, but I, this is the only caveat. Uh, I just don't know how healthy the Revs came out of that game. The reason that, that, that professional soccer matches are 90 minutes long and, and not usually 120 minutes is that the human body really isn't built 
to exert itself at, under those uh, you know strains and stresses uh, for for two straight hours. These guys are conditioned to go an hour and a half, and and while they're certainly fit enough in terms of their you know <laughs> their heart rate and 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 all that after a 32 game regular season and and all the other games that you have to play. Uh, with all the knocks these guys are carrying in there, you know, you saw Joe Franchino broke down at the end. Andy Dorman could barely walk. Uh, Steve Ralston had to leave the game. And I don't know if any of those are serious injuries. I think Ed Ralston may be the most severe among them, but it's hard to tell. You don't, you know, it, Joe Franchino was reduced to walking at the end. And uh, these are the knocks and, and that, that the Revs, you know, Absorbed and, and suffered last year uh, in their push to make it to the NLS Cup final, and that's the reason I think that they weren't able to put their best foot forward against Los Angeles. Now, whichever team emerges from this DC New York series is also going to have their their injuries and and so forth. But you just hope that the Revs, with a couple of days off today and tomorrow, are going to come back and be pretty close to to fully fit. It was amazing to see Pat Noonan moving around the way he did. Daniel Hernandez, I didn't even think you know was going to be fit to start, and and he was quietly one of the best players for New England yesterday. But you just hope, from a New England perspective, that and really from a neutral perspective, that the Revs have all their their you know bullets in the gun when when they come out to play this one game uh, conference championship match. Because Sean, you know, I just it's hard to know until the Tuesday injury report comes out uh, whether the likes of, of Franchino and Ralston are going to be fully fit. Well, talking about that, we also, I mentioned earlier in the show, the suspension of Shari Joseph. Uh, he'll be a guy that will certainly have, uh, should, should have plenty of energy coming off this game, uh, rested and going into the next game. Uh, w- was that a suspension that sort of helped the team, sort of motivated the team? Certainly it never helps to lose a great guy like Shari Joseph, but did that give the team extra motivation going into this game and more maybe extra passion to play this game? It's funny, Sean. I, I, I never added up the numbers myself, but uh, I think Frank DeLapa did it when Shari went out injured uh, in the middle of September. And up until that five-game stretch that Shari missed in September and October, the Reds had only won one out of nine games uh, when Shari had been absent from the starting lineup going back to 2003. Since that time, <laughs> they've gone, what is it, they, they, they're unbeaten in six games now? It's it's uh, four wins and, and two draws. Uh, it, I think those are the numbers. And if so, it's absolutely it's unbelievable. The team defensive MVP, arguably the best holy midfielder in the league, one who's drawn the attention of you know, if not scouts, certainly journalists from around the world. Everybody knows that Shari is one of the dominant forces in this league and for this team. And the Revs, like you say, seem to pick up their collective level when he's not in there. If Shari Joseph is fit and available, you got to play him. But guys like Joe Franchino and Jeff Lorenzowitz and last night Daniel Hernandez, who's a very you know strong defensive midfielder in his own right, these guys seem to elevate their level. They know that Shari's there. So I don't know if it's an energy level or more concentration or just added responsibility. But Joey and Danny were just they're flying out there and. You know, if you play recreational soccer in you know, indoor centers like I do this time of year where you start to go indoors, and there's always one guy who's in better shape than the other old geezers who are out there. You know, if he puts on the pressure, he can keep a team from clearing out of their own end of the field. Or And that's what it looked like to me last night. There were stretches where Hernandez and Franchino weren't letting Chicago out of their own end and then distributing the ball once they'd won it. And, you know... 
you can't do that for 90 minutes. But to, you know, with, with the chips down and, and Shawry out of there, I thought that the team you know played a lot better. Now that said, Shawry will play next week, and the Reds will be a better team because of it. Nobody wants to see the long shot of Shawry Joseph, uh, you know, bearing down on them. And you know, he's I thought he was very unjustly suspended this week, but. Fortunately, that's a topic that's somewhat behind us now because, uh, you know, soccer karma came into play and, and, and <laughs> the Revs prevailed in spite of, uh, uh, you know, w- w- what I think everybody in this neck of the woods perceived as a real injustice from MLS headquarters. Well, certainly I agree. And it's, uh, uh, talking about uh, the player Francino and Hernandez, uh, I think that's part of the reason why going 120 minutes uh, took its toll on them, the, the effort that they were putting in to make up for the absence of Shari Joseph. Uh, but what, what did you think of Taylor Twelman coming back into the midfield late in that game and his effort playing defensively uh, when everyone else in the midfield was so tired? I told him after the game, I said, Taylor, you could extend your career another 10 years if you know if you craft yourself into a defensive midfielder. He looked at me, he was just like, dude, what, what, what was I doing out there? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, uh, I, I think that was a smart coaching maneuver by uh, Steve Nichol and Paul Mariner because he was the guy and... and our, uh, my color analyst, uh, Greg Wallace, correctly pointed it out. Of all the players on the field, he was the one who was most able to, you know, pressure the ball, run around, and, and make life miserable for Chicago, even though he's by no means a defensive midfielder by trade. That said, it is sort of a sorry state of affairs when Taylor Twelman, who's, you know, been injured for the last six weeks, is the guy who, in, in the second overtime, is most able to do that job. It just tells you how many guys out there uh, were less than 100%. You know, Pepe Cancelo, who came on late doors, he isn't that type of player. And then everybody else, whether it's Noonan or Hernandez, who have been carrying knocks, and the guys who picked up injuries while they were out there, uh, Dorman, um, you know, looked, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he looked like he, he tweaked a hamstring. He, you know, he wasn't officially listed as injured. Franchino obviously was bandaged at the end. Ralston came off. And Connor Smith isn't a, a guy who's going to pressure in the middle of the field. So who else are you going to get? <laughs> you know, you're, out, you're out of options. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it was the right thing to do, but it was certainly, you know, sort of, uh, you know, emergency all-hands-on-deck maneuver. Well, certainly the team uh, seemed to set the tone early coming out with uh, the early fouls and two yellow cards within the first 14 minutes. Did you uh, notice who they fouled, by the way? Yvonne Guerrero, yep. The, <laughs> they want to, uh, who was the responsible, well, who got the elbow from Joseph that ended up in the suspension and then talked later about uh, happy that Joseph was suspended and thinking it was the right decision. Uh, but with those early early yells, you think that was intended to go set the ter- tone there? And uh, it kind of put them at a disadvantage as far as having to play smarter for the rest of the game and avoid another yellow. Well, you know, I couldn't take issue with Marufo yellow carding either of the players who were booked. Uh, I don't think that anybody needs to spell it out. It's not as if Steve Nichol in the team talk an hour before the game says, oh, you get a chance to kick that little guy, you go ahead and do it. You know, that's not the way the pro game works, and it's not even a whisper in the ear. I think the players, you know, talk among themselves, and they know that they, this is a guy who, A, they weren't real happy with, the conduct of during the week and his involvement with the suspension, but more than that, he's a guy who can be real mobile. And you know, with with Tiago not in the starting lineup, uh, you know, Map and Guerrero are the two guys you want to stop from running at you. And so I think it was more to set the tone in terms of the tactics of the game and to say, hey, let's slow this guy down a little bit, let him know we're here. 
Um, you know, you, you worry you should get taking yellow cards that early in the game that somebody might pick up a second yellow. Oh, New York just hit the post. They just went close to scoring, 61st minute. Altidori, the big 16-year-old. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think it was the smartest thing to do, but, you know, it also, when they went down 2-0, I really thought the Revs, you know, energy level actually dropped. And, I, you know, you heard from Steve Nichol in our telecast, and he didn't, he sounded down but not out. But that's sort of the way it looked. You know, like you knew it was possible. And it was almost like they just took, like, this deep collective breath sort of took their foot off the gas for a second just to sort of, you know, get, you know, sort of get their bearings. And then they, you know, went full bore, pedal to the metal, and they really carried play for the last 15 minutes of the first half and, you know, first 15, 20 minutes of the second half, really most of the second half until they hit the wall. You know, if you, if with Twelman's two misses, Noonan going off, off the crossbar, Cancela going close twice, you know, once in, in late in the, in the second half and once in the first overtime. Uh, the only real clear-cut chance that Chicago, you could say, should have finished was Rolf's header, uh, where he had to put that on target. Uh, but there, you, know, you can think of five or six by the Reds where you say, oh, they got a score, they nearly scored. So, yeah, I thought that they, you know, they, they responded really, really well. I thought they came out well, and then... There was that spell minute sort of 10 to minute 25 where they weren't so good. And then the rest of the, you know, the only thing was at the end of the overtime, the last 20 minutes of the overtime, they were so spent collectively. And I think they managed that portion of the game well, uh, although you worried a little bit when Reese caught his, his uh, cleats on the scene between the old, uh, the old turf and the new sod. That was the only time where I really thought, wow, Chicago could score here. Well, that's another thing with the team. Uh, you talked about the chances they had. Um, certainly, this is a guy with, with a guy like Taylor Twelman. Some of the chances that uh, with that open header he had from Jay Heaps that could have uh, brought them back within one earlier. Uh, obviously, they got the win here, and that was great. But they certainly had the chances to win in a regulation, and uh, maybe against a team like DC, they're not going to get those those many chances that the, as they had. Well, that could be, but you know what? I'll say this, Sean: every game is different, and you know some of these matches are really tight, and there aren't a lot of chances. The way the D.C. back three are playing right now, I think there would be. I, I don't know if they're appreciably better than the Chicago back three. People made a lot of Bobby Boswell this, this year. I'm not a huge fan. I think he's a, a, a much, you know, he's far exceeded expectations. I think a lot of teams would take him as a starter for sure. Is he a defender of the year caliber center back? Not for me. Facundo Urpen, a lot of tools. I think he's going to mature into a very good player. Very prone right now to bad giveaways and bad tackles. He has a temper. You know, he can get you a goal and he can, you know, make athletic uh, takeaways on the tackle. But he also, I think, is a liability for me. Brian Namoff is probably their steadiest defender, uh, and he's the one who's sort of the most nameless and gets the least recognition. Um, you know, they do have some terrier-like guys and, and Carroll and, and Olsen in front of them, who, who I think clean up a lot of messes, you know, put out fires before they start, if you will. Uh, but you know, a game down in, in in D.C. is likely to be a tense affair, but it can also, you know, you know, it could also be the kind of thing that we saw two years ago in the conference final, uh, where you know it was a wide open three three game, and so you never, you never know. I think the Reds will get chances wherever they go, and you know, just to bring it back to to where we started, I think the fact that they, you know, like he said, the fact they were making so many chances, it gives them confidence. The fact that they didn't bury them. 
I think is less of an issue. You know, Pat Noonan would have put that away. He was just so surprised that he wasn't called for offside, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think you only take confidence from it. Well, I'll let you go in a second here, but before I do, you mentioned Bobby Boswell uh, winning Defender of the Year, uh, but there's also Matt, Matt Reese was, uh, I thought, got slighted not winning Goalkeeper of the Year uh, over Troy Perkins. Matt Reese, uh, for every goalkeeper that had over uh, uh, played over 16 games, he had the best goals against average, he had the best uh, save percentage, he had the most uh, saves. He had the, you know, he basically led the most, league. The most shutouts. Most shutouts. He shut also, uh, you know, he led the best defensive team in the league, the best defensive record as a team. Uh, this is the thing. That was another one of those things where you send an email off to MLS headquarters, and you know, they're never going to give you a satisfactory answer. Uh, I don't think those things are in any way rigged. Uh, I do think that the, the consensus was, you know, people in charge were surprised and thought that Matt should have won. They can't control the voting. What they can do is going forward maybe adjust the way the voting is weighted. Um, you know, I I I, I didn't I, I felt badly telling being the one to tell Matt that it didn't work out. You know, it it just <sighs> I'm hopeful that Matt gets named to the best eleven team and while it's incongruous to have the best goal you know, the the best goalkeeper not be on the best eleven team. Well we've seen it happen before. It's happened before. I think that would be a just uh, remedy for 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 what's you know sort of an unfair thing. But these awards aren't really what it's all about. Uh, if I know Matt Reese, he'll trade a, a goalkeeper of the year award for a, a MLS Cup medal in an instant. Oh, now at the other end, DC United hits the crossbar. Certainly, but it's also great to see the players that deserve it getting the recognition. No, no, it should it should have been, but you, you know. We've still got a ways to go to educating the soccer public, and there are certain journalists who you worry don't know, you know, a good thing. The one thing I will say, Sean, and this is the issue I had at the league, and they know I don't, I, I was unhappy about it. I think one of the things that hurt Matt in the voting yep. is that they the criteria right now, or the the sole criterion for adding a goalkeeper to the leaders chart in the MLS league statistics is to have played in one-third of a team's games. That meant that when John Conway got to 10 starts and the Red Bulls had played 30 games, and all of a sudden his name appeared at the top, that was the same week that Matt Reese had leapfrogged Perkins and, and Kevin Hartman in goals against average, and that would have put him at the top of the chart. And a lot of people are lazy, and a lot of reporters don't follow the league day in, day out the way you and I do. And so when they look down, they say, who's the top goalkeeper? And they don't, you know, they had seen Perkins there, or, you know, I guess what I'm saying is they don't see Matt Reese's name. And if they'd seen Matt Reese's name at the top of the chart, like we believed he should have been, because goals against average is the, is the statistic that determines where you are in that chart, then I think Matt might have picked up a few late votes. But, you know, maybe that's not the case. I just said, you know, this isn't hockey where, you know, goalkeepers or goaltenders, if you, you know, in that case, uh, platoon as nearly as much. So, I think that one-third of the games is sort of a soft standard to make the, the leaders chart. And nothing against John Conway. He came on strong at the end, so did Matt Pickens. But those guys shouldn't be on the leaders board when guys like, you know, Pat Onstad, Matt Reese, Kevin Hartman, you know, Troy Perkins, those are the guys who have been there uh, week in and week out. And those are the ones who should be in the running for the for those honors. And, and you know, stats don't don't shape all the awards voting, but that was the one thing I didn't like um, that the league did. And again, to their credit, they said, you know what, you may have a point. You know, we can't deviate from the rules that we had at the beginning of the season, but, it, you know, we'll look into it, and that, that could change going forward. Absolutely. And be, before I let you go, uh, 
could you tell us about the work you do for uh, RevolutionSoccer.net? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's changed uh, over time insofar as we no longer do Revolution Video News. Uh, instead, this year, I think I've said this on the show before, we've you know tried to make it more sort of snippets, quick hits, and we've changed the name to Revs TV. And if you go there, you can see everything from exclusive interviews with with uh, Steve Nickel. To uh, you know, Greg Wallace and I getting uh, attacked by with silly string by the television production crew. Uh, we, we've had a lot of fun with that, and uh, uh, you know, we had to redo our computer setup, so there was a little lull there in August and September. Not as many Res TVs, but you know, we have multimedia stuff. That you know, we have a great uh, webmaster and Jason Dalrymple and our communications uh, manager Liz Summers, uh, who's fr- uh, from Somerset. She's from down that neck of the woods. As Red Bull scores to equalize an aggregate in minute seventy. Um, Altidori, the youngster. So it's one-one. Well, thanks for the update. Yeah, well, and you know what? That's good for the revolution because no matter who wins, uh, extra time would be terrific. And so that whichever the opponent is, tire him out. Absolutely. But, uh, the uh, the uh, the website I think is, is is vastly improved from what it was before. I think it's it's more dynamic. The graphics are are certainly more pleasing to the eye. And and you know, Jason Dalrymple is really the the guy. Behind that, I write a weekly column, uh, you know, where I, I get to vent all the things, uh, you know, all, on all the issues that I <laughs> near and dear to my heart. I don't know if anybody reads it, but it's there, uh, and you know, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly an opinionated uh, column. Uh, and then a lot of the other stuff is just me managing the information and, and the flow. And, and you know, I'm on the soccer side of things. You know, the, the people on the grassroots and community relations. Uh, side of things and the people who service the center circle uh season ticket members they do a lot of work too to, to provide information uh for you know for our, our best fans you know the season ticket holders and also uh to keep people abreast of what the players are doing out in the community and what they're doing out in the community as you know is considerable the fact that michael parkhurst uh you know from providence and cranston rhode island uh not just a top player he's named tops at his position by some, uh, soccer america for the year but he's also the league's uh, humanitarian and the team's humanitarian of the year uh, for all the work he does in, in, in the community. And if you want to find out more about stuff like that, you know, the, the website's the place to go. But uh, what I'm saying, Sean, is I'm not the guy to take all the credit. There are a yeah. lot of people in, in the building who, who do a lot for the website. But thanks for bringing it up. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. Sean, I appreciate it. Always, uh, always a pleasure. And thanks for keeping us updated on the uh, Red Bull. Yeah, I'm not trying to draw anybody away from your show. But, you know, the, the, the people who are listening to this obviously have an interest. Yeah, my goal is to keep people updated on that. So Okay, you bet, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was uh, Brad Feldman, uh, the Revolution uh, Media Director, as well as play-by-play broadcaster uh, for the TV games and the radio games. And uh, we'll be joined by Revolution uh, writer for the Boston Globe, Frank Delapa, in just a few seconds here. Uh, we're talking about the Red Bull DC game, uh, crucial game upcoming up, crucial game which is going on right now. Uh, as far as who the Revs play in the conference final, uh, should Red Bulls, should the Red Bulls, New York Red Bulls win the game, uh, the game will actually be at home next weekend, which will certainly give the Revs uh, a large advantage, whereas should D.C. win the game, uh, the game will be played in D.C. next weekend. Uh, and D.C. also being the top team of the regular season, winning the Supporters' Shield, uh, certainly appears more of a daunting task. Uh, however, that said, D.C. has been playing poorly lately, as Brad mentioned, uh, where the Red Bulls have had to work their way, work hard to get their way back into uh, playoff spot. And now over the phone we have uh, Frank Delapa from the Boston Globe. Frank, can you hear me? Yes, Sean, I hear you fine. Thanks a lot for joining us today. What's that? I couldn't hear you, Sean. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Oh, sure, yeah, good, good to be with you, sure. 
Uh, what were your thoughts on last night's result? Yeah, I thought it was justified. It was a good, good result. The Revolution played, uh, you know, really they, they attacked from the whole series. And so you're talking, you know, 195 minutes they tried to attack. They, they kind of fell off at the end, but it wasn't uh, their intention to do so. They just kind of ran out of steam and adjusted tactically. And uh, I thought that was that was a really important thing. I don't think Chicago adjusted tactically very well. They uh, started defending really from the 35th minute of the first game and, and hoped to defend for you know, maybe 150-some minutes or something, and you just can't do that. And so I think uh, the Revolution definitely deserved to win, and they, you know, they played well, especially missing two of their top players. Uh, what the chances they had, though? Was it a bit uh, unfortunate yeah. for the game to have gone on as long as it did without uh, getting a winner in regulation? That's a good point. Yeah, they probably could have had a couple of goals very easily in there. You know, Taylor Twelman usually doesn't miss those, hit the post with one, and... Uh, yeah, you know that. I think they really could have. They really deserved to win by by more than they did. Well, you talk about the chances Taylor Twellman missed. That it's been an issue throughout the whole season with him, where you know he's getting the goals, but he's he's maybe not taking the chances that we would have seen him go in for sure last year. Uh, is there anything to really explain that? Not really. I think he's just a little bit off. Uh, I think he was. Uh, he's had you know years like that before. He's still like, but you know, had has eleven goals, eleven, twelve goals. So. You know, in this league, you know, that's that's not bad. I think the leader had 16, so, you know, it's not too bad. I think, uh, you know, the, the team had trouble scoring this year. When that starts happening, uh, it affects everybody. It just couldn't couldn't quite make it happen. But, you know, he got the big ones uh, when, when it counted and got the penalties when it counted, too. And I think part of that, as well as uh, with Pat Noonan being out and how well they've worked together. And speaking of Pat Noonan, we saw him come back in the lineup after sports hernia surgery. Uh, but... Uh, Steve Nichol talked about hoping to win the game in regulation so they wouldn't have to go into overtime. And with the guy like Pat Noonan kind of being run down to the ground playing uh, longer than they expected, uh, is that something that you know might become an issue as far as going into next week's game with uh, Noonan coming off the injury and having to play so long? Yeah, you'd think it, it might, but uh, with uh, Charlie Joseph and maybe Clint Dempsey coming back, it kind of makes up for that. You know, a couple other guys kind of got worn down there too. Uh, Newton, you know, it's a phenomenal thing really to come back 18 days after, uh, hernia surgery and, you know, play 75, uh, basically 75 minutes, I think, you know, that, that's not what was supposed to happen and it was, uh, and then have enough left. You know, taking penalties isn't easy when you're not fresh and you're hurting and all that stuff and he showed composure and all that stuff. So yeah, it could hurt him for next week, but, uh, we'll see. I think, you know, a lot of you go on adrenaline at this point and, uh, they, I think they're feeling pretty good right now. You talk about the play of uh, Jose Cancela coming on and you know going for the diving header and doing some things that we don't expect from him, uh, and you know really taking control of the game for a little while there. Uh, but he himself kind of faded as the overtime went on. Well, yeah, I think uh, his whole whole team kind of. I think he was playing at a, a weird position, kind of a forward. Plumman was playing in, the, in a defensive midfield role, and you know, and Newton couldn't really move as as they wanted to as a forward. So, yeah. It's just kind of a weird situation at the end, but I think they handled it tactically the right way, you know, because, uh, you know, for Pepe to get in and take a header like that, that's like a real striker's header, and he's never in that position, you know. He, he missed it, but, you know, he did it the right way. It was, it was nice. So, uh, you know, he set some stuff up, too, after that. So uh, I just think it was uh, a lot of guys just in, in weird positions at, at that point, you know, and I think that's why that happened. It made me look like he faded a little bit. That's why. Can you talk about uh, what, what did you think of the play of Jose Manuel Abundas, who uh, you know played a great game coming out as a sub against Chicago the game before, I believe, and you know it was one start he scored the goal in, but really last night he kind of seemed on a different page as far as the rest of the team was, and I think that led to a substitution at halftime just as much as wanting to get Noonan on. 
Yeah, kind kind of. I don't think uh, they, they don't read each other. They don't read him too well, and uh, I don't think he he reads them too well. And it's it's not anybody's fault. It just takes uh, time, you know. Uh, so he he hasn't been here that long. The referees don't know him, so you know he's getting hit a lot, and uh, you know those are, those can be fouls, and maybe somewhere else here they might not be. So uh, you know it, it takes a real real adjustment, but but I think he's a good player. So you know he holds the ball pretty well, very well, really. So uh, he doesn't really hurt you even when he's not playing well. He's not giving the ball away. So, uh, yeah, there'll be a place for him next week, I think. And Daniel Hernandez went all 120 minutes after, I believe, his first start since coming back from the injury. Um, he's another player like Pat Noonan who you know, saw more time than I think they were hoping to give him. Uh, also, was a little surprising to see that when the sub was made to bring off Jeff Laurentowitz, that it was Laurentowitz rather than Hernandez, uh, basing on the injury, injury situation and uh, how little time Hernandez has been seeing? Yeah, right. That's, uh, that's a good point. But I think, you know, I think we, we computed that Hernandez had played uh, 67 or 68 minutes since May 6th, and then you're asking him to go 120 minutes. But, but you know, he, he's okay. You know, I mean, he's he actually, uh, he's, he's a really a, a, an experienced player, you know, and uh, a very good player. And, and he knows how to conserve his energy and, uh, you know, sort of get through that. And, you know, his skill and composure helps and his experience. It helps a lot. So he's not working as hard as, as you might, you know, see a guy get run down in that situation. Uh, I think it's really important, too. I think they had to have somebody in there like that, too, without Charlie Joseph. And, uh, Lorentowitz has, has done really well for him. He's actually won a couple games for him, you know, flat out. So, yeah. uh, you know, but, but in, in this situation, you know, you're better off having, uh, you know, the more experienced guys out there, even if they're a little tired, I think. And Avery John uh, started off the season uh, on the bench, but earned a starting spot back over James Riley. Uh, I believe it was mentioned last night something about uh, something like 19 games unbeaten with him in the starting lineup up until uh, last weekend's loss to Chicago. Uh, he played another great game, other than maybe the Justin Mapp, Justin Mapp's cross, where maybe he could have gotten to that quicker or put more pressure on Justin Mapp that led to Chicago's goal. But uh, what do you think he's brought to the team? You know, since he's gone back into the starting lineup. Oh yeah, he's brought a lot actually. Uh, you know, he brought he, he was in the World Cup. You know, he played in the World Cup, so he's he's come back. You know, a lot better player. Uh, he's he's more confident. You know, his timing's better. Look, you know, you, you go and he's playing against Sweden, and you know, uh, Freddie Lundberg and all those guys, and Henrik Larsson, and then you come here. You know, you nobody's going to you know be able to beat you that that easily, and he he really is not getting beat at all. You know, and uh, I, he also gives them a little more. Physical uh, play back there too, and you know, with uh, the three guys they have there, with uh, James Riley, Jay Heaps, and Michael Parker, they they don't really have a lot of physical strength. And this league is is a lot of times is about that, you know. And uh, unfortunately, you know, because those guys play more with savvy and skill, and, and I think it's really great. But sometimes you need to have a guy back there with just a little more size too, you know, uh, with Shawrees out of the lineup. On set pieces, they're very, very vulnerable, and, and you know Avery plays big, and he's you know big, kind of big, strong guy. He's not that big, but you see, I think that's so. I think that's what he's brought, and it's really helped him. We were talking earlier in the show with the uh, scenarios of whether New York wins or DC wins, and what would happen next weekend as far as the Revs game. Uh, we had Brad Feldman on the show earlier. He told us that New York had tied it up on aggregate with uh, Jose Altidore getting uh, Josie Altidore getting a goal to uh, tie that up. Uh, the 16-year-old. 
could you talk about you know what you think would be the better scenario for the Revs? Obviously, it would be great to play at home, but which of these two teams would uh, the Revs match up better against? Uh, yeah, I think uh, you, you should try to get the game at home, uh, no matter what. Uh, they say DC is not playing too well now, and uh, you know it looks like it from the game they're, they're really struggling against New York, which they shouldn't. And, and, and uh, Revolution did go in there and beat them, you know, last time around without Shelby Joseph, and uh, really, really beat them pretty good in that game too. But uh, I think you, you really hope to get the game at home, no matter who it is. I, it makes a huge difference, you know, with travel the way it is now and, and all sorts of factors. I mean, it could be uh, snowing next week or, you know, it could be pouring rain in D.C. You just don't know, you know, uh, which affects, you know, your flights. It affects, it affects you know, how the game goes. And uh, they really do have great home support in D.C. too, so it really helps that team. And uh, I think even with nine or 10,000 fans there last night, it really helped the revolution. And I'll let you go in a second here, but before I do, could you talk about uh, what fans can see on your from your writing on uh, SoccerNet.com as well as in the Boston Globe? Oh, right. You mean what for this week? Yep. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I'm going to probably write about that, that series. It, it kind of depends on who comes in. But I have a lot of it is tactics, and I think uh, Revolution has gotten their tactics right the last uh, several several games. And, uh, you know, it's it's not easy. You know, and it, it makes a huge, huge difference. And we haven't seen that in this country. And uh, Steve Nichols has done a really good job of that, uh, adjusting the personnel and getting the right guys in the right places. You, you, know, you see this team playing a 3-5-2 with the right guys in the right places most of the time. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, that, that, that's it. But, you know, D.C., uh, if they do get through this, you know, will still be, uh, should be the favorite to win at home. But, uh, you know, the Revolution's been to the conference final five straight years. So that's a huge change. You know, you guys probably remember when they weren't doing that. <laughs> so. yep. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Okay, Sean, good talking to you. Keep up the great work. Okay, you too. That was uh, Frank DeLapa from the Boston Globe, uh, Revolution Soccer writer. Also, as mentioned, writing for uh, SoccerNet.com this year. I believe he has a uh, weekly or semi-weekly column on there. Uh, in a few seconds here, we'll be joined by uh, a writer for Soccer365.com as well as well as uh, 90-Minute Soccer Magazine, Don Cuddy. Uh, he's also been writing for RevNet.com this year. Uh, he always has interesting th- things to say about the team, and we were talking about uh, the upcoming game against the Red Bulls against either the Red Bulls or DC. Uh, last time we heard from that game, one nothing Red Bulls. Uh, that game should go into overtime. It would certainly be of benefit to the Revs as far as uh, the, the the minutes going up. And uh, it's it's great to see that happening uh, for that team to be more getting more tired. Um, but as, as far as the two op- opponents coming up, uh, DC finished the season really poorly. I think the Revs. As we mentioned, got a win there at, towards the end of the season, and certainly they could feel confident going into D.C., getting a result there. But, of course, we've seen in the past the, the game, I believe in 2004 it was, the Eastern Conference Final that the Reds played in D.C. Uh, D.C. is never an easy place to play in, so certainly uh, we would hope that the Revs, from a Reds perspective, we would hope that the Red Bulls could uh, pull through and continue to, to keep on, to hold on to this lead and this leg and, you know, extend it and hopefully win the series because... Playing at home in front of their home fans, the fort was a, you know, would be a, a very, very great thing for the, the Revs to have. Um, but we were talking about, you know, DC, who has been struggling uh, with this. They did win the supporter shield, so uh, a little. E- either way, it's it's certainly not an impossible task for the team. Um, but that that said, the Red Bull team is a as exciting team to watch with. Uh, 
Josie Altidore, the 16-year-old who was mentioned scored the 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 goal today. He also has, I believe, three goals on the season. Uh, he's a player to watch for that for the Red Bulls uh, should they go on uh, and face the Revs. And they also did a you know great job with the you know a possible potential player for the U.S. national team. Uh, and now we'll be joined over the phone by by Jim Dow, I believe, from Don Cuddy by Resnet from Resnet.com. Sorry, Jim Dow will be joining us later. And uh, Don, can you hear me? Yeah, Sean, I'm here. How are you? Thanks a lot for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Um, last night's game, it was a great win for the Revs, uh, but at the same time, it, it was tough for them to go through the, all 120 minutes. Do you think uh, this team will be physically ready for next weekend? Uh, yeah, uh, you'll have to excuse me. I'm watching uh, New York, D.C., and uh, in the 85th minute, New York uh, have just given up a goal. They'd gone ahead, and now it's 1-1, and that's advantage D.C. again in a game that D.C. have never really been in. Who scored the goal for D.C.? It looks like Christian Gomez. So at the and, same... Uh, Altidore gave uh, New York the lead in the 70th minute, and it looked like they were much more uh, capable of winning the game, but now Christian Gomez has popped up in the Bucks, and it looks like we might be facing D.C. There's only five minutes to go. Well, we never know what could happen in the late goals we've seen in this league, but at the same time with uh, D.C. giving up the goal to New York and, as you mentioned, not playing really well, uh, it certainly wouldn't be an impossible task for the Revs to go into D.C. and beat them. No, I was hoping New York would win, obviously, because that would give us home field advantage. Um, I was talking to some of the players in the locker room last night after the game, and uh, there's a feeling in the Rev squad that they can beat anybody. So, uh, I mean, if uh, they have to go to D.C., they certainly won't go down there uh, with any feelings of inferiority, particularly if they're all sitting at home, as I am now, watching the D.C.'s performance tonight because they've been pretty ordinary. It's been uh, a very poor team performance from D.C. The game itself really hasn't come alive. The first hour was basically meaningless, and now... um, it's a real battle now. The last once uh, New York scored, the game really came alive. So uh, you know, MLS. Who's to say? You know, who's going to be in the final? Who's going to win it? Nobody knows. Well, I haven't mentioned the other game that took place yesterday, which was uh, Colorado against Dallas, and Colorado managed to knock Dallas out on penalty kicks. Uh, is is that a, a bonus to whoever is going into the final uh, from the East to know that you know Dallas is out of it and that there won't be you know home field advantage in the final? Well, I don't know if anyone's looking that far ahead at the moment, but I have to feel sorry for the Dallas fans because uh, it's the second year in a row where they've looked uh, like a very good team and a team that could win it. And, uh, you know, twice they've crashed out, you know, especially given the fact that once again MLS Cup is going to be on their home field and they've blown their second opportunity. I believe it was on penalty kicks both times. It's to Colorado as well. Oh, I know, I know. So, uh I mean, only one team can win it, but there's got to be a lot of unhappy fans around the league. Yes, certainly. But uh, with the games coming up for the Revs, uh, New York uh, has been a team that kind of had to go in with their back against the walls, and whereas DC came in kind of, you know, slump, slumping. So maybe, maybe in a sense that sure they're giving up home field advantage should uh, DC advance in the series, but uh, DC may have been even the poorer team going into this game. Well, they're really terrible tonight, and uh, 
I think uh, maybe winning in New York was a bad thing for them because, uh, you know, no matter how much the coach tries to reinforce the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's only half time when it's a two-game series, uh, the players have to think that if they go down and beat a team on their home field, that when they get back into their home turf, that uh, the result is more or less a formality. And that, you know, that's a very dangerous attitude because it's, you know, if you if you play at a certain level for 60 minutes, it's difficult you know, if you give up a goal to try to raise your level during the last few minutes. And, uh, you know, some of the coaching decisions have baffled me as well. I mean, uh, here tonight, uh, a minute before New York went ahead in this game, Freddie Adu fires in a shot. The goalie gets two hands to it. And Jaime Moreno gets the rebound, and he tees up Eskandarian, who crashes a good shot off the crossbar. And that's how close D.C. were. Soon as New York scored, Peter Nowak takes Eskandarian out in favor of a 22-year-old rookie midfielder. And Eskandarian had been playing up top with Moreno. So, you know, how do you explain that? Well, there certainly has been some crazy coaching decisions that we've seen in this game. Uh, but... Uh, on, on another note, it's the same with the Revs last year. They kind of came into the playoffs, you know, kind of slumping like we see it from D.C. this year. Uh, do you think that gives the Revs a boost to have the, the way they came in this year going in seven games unbeaten? Well, I mean, what's given the Revs a boost uh, is the whole uh, business with Shelby Joseph because uh, I was talking to Jay Heaps last night, and that's what he was saying, that uh, the good thing to come out of this is that it's uh, just united the team. And they were determined to show that uh, they were still capable of going out there and getting a result, even without Dempsey and Shalry. And uh, I was trying to, uh, you know, determine from Jay what you know what what could be done. I mean, this because this whole Shalry thing is it's it's just uh, made the league look bad. I mean, I think that's generally accepted, you know, even by people who are not Revs fans that. Uh, you know, it has to be better. We have to have better officiating during the games, and we have to have, um, you know, a more transparent process, shall we say, with regard to, uh, you know, why some of these uh, suspensions are handed down and, and uh, some of the other plays that we see, you know, don't even get a yellow card. And, uh, you know, on that note as well, another bizarre thing that occurred during this game was that this game is being on called on ESPN2 by uh, Rob Stone. Yep. And at one point, um, you know, Ben Olsen wins a ball in midfield, and then uh, Rob Stone starts speaking admiringly about, well, you know, if you want to win a championship, you have to have uh, players like Ben Olsen, guys who uh, are not afraid to get their nose bloody and are not afraid to throw an elbow here and a slide there. So now you have this guy on national television telling his audience that you can't win a championship unless you have a guy out there who's willing to throw elbows. And, you know, there's a certain sensibility gap there as far as I'm concerned. You know, I mean, is throwing an elbow violent content, uh, a con- conduct or is it uh, a necessary quality for your, uh, you know, midfield uh, pit bulls like Kovalenko or Ben Olsen or whoever else, yet, or Shalry Joseph for that matter, you know? So, I mean, there's just a whole disconnect, it seems to me, about uh, what's going on here today in, in, the, in, the, in the league. Well, I certainly agree with you on that, but uh, i got to let you go here. But before I do, could you t- tell us where people can see your writing? Oh, yeah, 90 minutes. Uh, next issue, we'll have uh, an interview I did with Sunil Gulati, which is timely because uh, 
he's uh, about to announce the uh, new U.S. coach, and I've also uh, discussed with him the uh, league's refusal to sell uh, Dempsey and Joseph and what MLS policy is and uh, you know how it impacts the national team when they're, when they're holding players basically against their wishes, players who could be developed uh, in better leagues and uh, reach their potential, which would in turn help the national team. So 90 minutes, and as usual, on Soccer 365. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Okay. And thanks, th- Sean. I'll be seeing you hopefully at uh, Foxborough next week if New York can clinch the game <laughs> well, here. Thanks for the updates on that game, and keep up the good work. Okay, Sean. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, Don Cuddy for RevsNet.com, Soccer365.com, uh, as well as 90MinuteSoccerMagazine.com. Uh, we'll, we're wrapping up the show here, but before we do, we are going to be joined by uh, RevsNet.com writer Jim Dow, I mentioned earlier. Um, he's been on the show previous times. He's been in guest in the studio. Uh, always an interesting person to talk to. And, uh, we, we meant, Don mentioned that DC had tied up the game, which meant they had taken the lead in the series. Uh, so that's a <laughs> so that's a disappointing thing for Rev's perspective as far as having another home game. Uh, but at the same time, DC has been slumping, as we mentioned. So uh, certainly not impossible either way. Uh, now over the phone, we have Jim Dow. Jim, can you hear me? Yep, absolutely. Thanks a lot for joining us today. My pleasure. Now, what were your thoughts on last night's game? Well, I thought that uh, you know it was a, another installment of the uh, New England Chicago brawls. Uh, that, uh, on the other hand, if, if you compare it to last year's game, this is a uh, you know last year's uh, uh, Eastern final. There was a lot more skill involved, in a, and and really there could have easily been a feast of goals, uh, both in the first game and the second game by the Revolution, but also but also by Chicago. And it was an incredibly gutsy performance, a roll of the dice to, to put Pat Noonan in, and the, and the, the dice came up uh, huge, and uh, we, we won. I also think that, uh, you know, the way, the way that Matt Reese uh, had, had uh, the Chicago uh, penalty takers stymied was, uh, was so much of a, of a mental game, and I, I really wonder how much of it had to do with, uh, you know, looking over Matt Reese's shoulder and seeing uh, however many uh, hundreds of people were back there waving flags and screaming and yelling. It, it must have been a really pretty uh, awesome sight and uh, make somebody kind of forget what they're doing because their, their penalty kicks did not look very good. I was standing right behind the goal, and so I could, I could see the run-up, and, and it was almost as if they were watching the crowd as much as Matt Reese. Well, that's something right there where people talk about the lack of home field advantage in the first round. You know, there's your example right there, having the penalty kicks right in front of, uh, you know, some of the best fans in MLS. Well, I think I think there is a there is a home advantage. Uh, you know, I, I think the the as somebody pointed out uh, today, um, the uh, if if you played the two go- you know the double goal rule for uh, away goals rule, you'd really negate the home advantage because the home team would have to play scared. Um, so I really think that this is actually quite a good way to do the playoffs. And, and uh, they were mentioning in the uh, in, in the game today that actually the playoff uh, advantage for the second game has been what, like seven, uh, one, and four, something like that. Yeah. Some, you know, home field, home field advantage is really held uh, with uh, in this uh, two-legged thing. And I think that, I think that's good. I think that's right. I think it's the way it should be because you, you know, you play all season to get it. Well, we got to wrap things up, but before we do, uh, the the next game, it looks like D.C. tied it up with uh, New York last time we had an update, uh, So, in which case D.C. would be going on. Uh, yep. What do you think the Reds would need to do to prepare for a game uh, in D.C.? 
Well, I think that the the, the truth of it is that, uh, uh, first of all, the field as, as it was con- constituted last night, I think, was still a little bit iffy. I think D.C.'s field's better. D.C.'s field's definitely bigger. I think um, if the, the question is going to be really interesting is whether uh, whether Steve Nickel and Mariner go back to the 4-4-2. Um, that game, uh, what was it now, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, was one of the best games uh, of the season, if not the best game of the season in terms of sheer skill by both teams. So I think we're going to see a terrific game. Uh, who comes out the winner? Uh, I don't know, but I think it'll. I think it could easily be one of the best games uh, ever. Uh, it'll have to go something to top that game two years ago, though. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, and uh, everyone should make sure to check out your writing on Revsnet.com. That was uh, Jim Dow from Revsnet.com, and uh, got to wrap things up there. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today, and I'd like to thank Greg Norman and Universal Seven Radio for giving me the opportunity to come back on today. I'd also like to thank Mike Catton. Cadenzaro for running the board today, and uh, we'll be on next week. Thanks for joining us. This is the flagship station of the Universal 7 Radio Network, AM 1320, The Drive, WARL, Attleboro, Providence, Master Control of Tranquility Base. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.